Last week on Something's About to Happen. Your troubles are not accidental. Your trials and woes, they are not happenstance. God is so in charge of your life that when you gave him commitment, he took you seriously because you were in a serious moment. And that's why nothing happens, including what your foolishness brings about, without his permission. Look for four or five people and tell them, watch out for me because I am provoked on purpose. My subject this morning is provoked on purpose. Our Father, bless your word. Supply the unction and the rich river of the Spirit of God to make my mind nimble, my thoughts agile, that as an oracle we will bring forth not merely a prophetic word, but tutorial reasoning around that word, that your people will go home not just with a message, but with understanding of how you message to them. We pray knowing you have done it already in Jesus' name. And the people of God said a big amen. A promise is a very powerful thing. When a man makes a promise to a young lady and says, I want to be married to you and buys a diamond ring, if he's a very wealthy guy, spends $90,000 or so and seats the ring um, on a special crown on some platinum metal uh, and ensures that it has qualitative light um, and, and that its, its measurements are such that it's of the very best type of diamond gem. And she, she has a ring. And the ring for her symbolizes a promise that I love the guy, the guy loves me, and we are going to get married. And the proof of that is this ring, that if he would put his money, $90,000, where his mouth is, she knows that more than likely the wedding is going to happen. But men, even at their best, have been known to break engagements for a wide variety of reasons and I will not trouble that matter today so that even though she had a ring, it was no guarantee that he was going to take her to the altar. However, when God makes a promise, he doesn't need a diamond ring, though he will give you two immutable things in which it is impossible for him to lie. You can be assured uh, that if he said it, he'll make it good. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. Everything will pass away, including the sun and its shining. But the promise of God, it is yea and amen forever in him. The Bible says his word is forever settled in heaven. The struggle is getting that word that settled in glory to settle in your life and the means of that settlement is something that is the prerogative and responsibility of God to ensure that you have it is called faith and to ensure that you have faith God will track you down trace you up pursue you so that he can keep talking to you and tell you what's on his mind and what he has already set up in your future that is guaranteed to happen it's not based on your performance Though your performance may be required, he will give you the performance. So that whatever has to happen, it's going to happen. Because when he promises, it's different from him willing. God wills that none perish, but that all come to everlasting life. But there are people in hell today, and there will be people who go to hell tomorrow. Because that was his will, it was not a promise. Glory to God. But when he promises, 
And you, how you know he's promising is he goes into oath mode. Verily, verily. Saying something twice. Surely. Or he calls your name. Moses, Moses, twice. He's in assurance mode. In other words, this is going to happen. That means, friend, no matter what I have to do to you to get you into place and into position, I will do it. Whatever I need to do. Jonah, run as far away as you can from your mission point of assignment. Even where you run to will assist me to get you to where you're going. Because a promise from God is a promise. That's why the writer says, let every man be a liar. Let God alone be true. This means, my friends, the most important relationship that you've got to have is a relationship with God. Because the most important power derivation that you could get in life is hearing his voice and he still speaks to ordinary people like you and me. And so he's a gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not wanted. But because he wants to be wanted, because that's how he gets to speak to you, he will put some wants in your life so that you come looking for him whereas he was the one who was really looking for you. So you think you're asking him for stuff yet he's recruiting you on purpose. She begs for a baby yet he was recruiting her to be the surrogate mother of his prophet because he had no prophet in the land for 400 years and Israel was going about doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. But they needed prophetic direction. God needed the prophet more than she needed the child. Because his integrity was at stake. He had promised calendar dates for Abraham's descendants. And if the judge did not rise, Samuel, at the right time, God would lose his integrity. It is impossible for God's integrity to be diminished, depleted, or in any way minus. He has to protect that. But he beautifully coincides her need for a child by blocking her womb at the right time for the prophet to arise for the first time in 400 years with a revelatory word from God. Your troubles are not accidental. Your trials and woes, they are not happenstance. God is so in charge of your life that when you gave him commitment, he took you seriously because you were in a serious moment. And that's why nothing happens, including what your foolishness brings about, without his permission. God, God. It is into this context that we arrive. And you know the three parties, Eli, the husband, in a polygamous house, with his first wife, Hannah, who was obviously a beautiful, likable, nice, amiable woman, but not fertile. And Penina, her enemy, who was a hard, callous, in fact, a wicked woman. And she goes to the temple to pray. Because the Ark of the Covenant is, is there. She's nearby the Lord. And she's, she's gyrating, she's lamenting, she's pouring out her soul that the high priest looks at her doesn't think she's praying he thinks she's just drunk that, that he would have appellaged her as, as a daughter of Belial 
And when he accuses her and accuses her of drunkenness, he says, no, my Lord, I'm just a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I'm not full of wine. I'm full of bitterness. I'm full of anguish of soul. I'm full of the pain of the strife in my house. I'm full of disappointment. I'm full of despondency. I'm full of, uh, of the travail of my soul. And what you see me speaking with that looks to you like drunkenness is out of the abundance of my heart. I'm getting rid of my bitterness, my pain, the torment and the torture of my soul. I'm in lamentation because I'm going through hell. And I would have thought that you being a priest, you would understand and be sensitive to my plight. And when he realizes that what she was gyrating about and all of that that was going on, shaking down her hair, weeping and moaning, but yet not one noise came out of her mouth. When he realizes it's not drunkenness, but the anguish of her soul, he gives her a word. But before I go to the word, consider this. God cannot fill something or someone that is already full. When you are full of bitterness and anguish and sorrow of soul, God can't fill you when you're already full. But she happen, happens to, to stumble on the right axiom and she goes to empty out her soul because prayer acts like a catheter, like, like a catharsis moment to, to drain down and drain out all, all the anguish of your soul because he's not going to put his blessing on top of your bitterness. He's not going to put his favor on top of your pride. He's not going to put his glory on top of your haughtiness. He's not going to put his, his, his grace on, on top of your, your insolent spirit. He's not going to do that. He's not going to take your rebellion and mix it with his purity. He's not going to do that. Now, the enemy went after her womb. Why? As he did many wombs of the patriarchs for one simple reason. God had said in the scriptures at the beginning of time or the beginning of humanity that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Now, if you bruise my heel, it's going to heal. But if, if the seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent, that head is not going to be repaired. That's why the enemy started going after every male child before they were born. When he thought that this is the line that God will come through, he went after uh, uh, Seth. He went after Abel. He went after Moses. He went after Sarah's womb. Went after Rachel's womb. Went after Rebecca's womb. Why? He was aiming at the seed. Because he wasn't sure which seed. That's why he tried to kill Moses. Because he thought Moses was going to be the deliverer that would crush his head. He didn't know that all of these were workers or carriers of the seed, some of them, uh, and that eventually the seed, who is Christ, there was nothing he could do to stop it. When God has promised a thing, nobody can reverse it. Hallelujah. And so here she is, her, her womb is closed because her womb is going to carry the voice of the prophet whose primary job was to guide Israel through her, her wanton years into a place where the seed and the clan around the seed could be preserved. And so she's in anguish. And she's praying and crying out to God. She's crying out to God. All kinds of negative emotions are going on in her heart. She's desperate for a child. And she knows that she can't receive what God has for her if she's going to remain full of bitterness. And she says within herself, I've got to get this rot out of inside of me so that I can receive what God has for me. 
I've got to get all this stuff going on in my heart out away from me so that I can get what God has already prepared for me. I've got to get rid of all this bitterness, anguish, all this anger, this vengefulness from inside my soul so that I can receive what God has. You know that there are people here, God has truckloads of glory and blessing and favor waiting for you, but you can't get it because you've got so much going on inside of you. You can't receive what God has for you if you are going to remain full of anger, full of vengefulness, full of unforgiveness, full of pride, full of envy. We should talk about that one. Full of hate. Because envy? Oh God. Just because somebody got a car. Just because somebody just keeps getting blessed by God, you become more and more bitter, more and more vengeful, more and more of a hater, more and more envious. And you don't realize that that's what's stopping your blessing from being received into your life. I, I, I can't remain full of, of hatred and, and jealousy and bitterness and pride. I don't know if you hear me, but we need a purge in this body. We need a purge in the body of Christ. Why? Because God has got a promised blessing for you. And the only thing stopping it is what's going on in your heart. Those of you who know that God is about to bless you like you've never been blessed before, I want you to give him the highest praise that you can muster. Amidst the throng, I could hear about three or four cries of praise that sound like, I, I know my blessing is on the doorstep. It's at the threshold. I know it. And Pastor, I'm, I'm so glad for today's sermon. I could go home now because I do know that the only reason why I'm not getting what God is giving is because I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm jealous, I'm unforgiving, I'm vengeful. And for that reason, I know that I am the one blocking out what God has in his hand waiting for me to receive. But my unforgiveness is getting in the way. It's getting in the way. Unforgiveness is, is retarding. It makes people not like you. Unforgiving people, uh, bitter people, they're not nice to be around. Look at, do, do a road check. Just check, look, look for the look on the face of your neighbor. And it's not their fault because you don't know what they went through. He didn't have any idea what Hannah was suffering at home. He had no idea how she's in a mix where she's envious of the other woman because the other woman has babies. The other woman is envious of her because their husband loves Hannah, not Penina. You can't feel what is already full. There has to be an emptying out. God says, I cannot release to you what you, you've been asking me for, Hannah, until you release to me all that that's inside of you, by the way, of anger, bitterness, vengefulness, hostility, hatred, and all of that nasty stuff that comes out of your mouth. I've got to get it out of you first. He says, but God, I've been, I've been lo longing for a baby for so long, so long. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And I, I'm wondering, God, why has it been so long? I've been praying for so long. I've been longing for this child for so long. I've been trusting you for so long. I've been waiting on you for so long. You're saying to him, Lord, when are you going to do it? God, when are you going to make it happen for me? Yet God is saying the same thing back to you. He's saying, I've been waiting for you for so long too. 
I've been expecting you for so long too. I've been looking out for you for so long too. When are you finally going to do it and empty out your heart of all these things that are getting in the way of me blessing you? Because I can't do what you want me to do until you do what I want to do and purge out all that stuff that's on the inside of you. When Eli saw her crying out like that, he thought she was drunk that she had ingested alcohol, that they had poured alcohol into her. But no, she was pouring out the toxicity of the pain of her life. She wanted to get rid of it because she knew she could not possibly approach God and receive from him in that state. And Eli speaks to her and says, be it unto you as you have asked. May God grant it to you just as you ask. And she somehow immediately stops all her, shaking down her hair, opening up her mouth, crying out to God from the silence of her wailing whisper and packs up and goes home. But notice one powerful thing that is written in the text. And I believe you'll find it in verse 18. Eli answered and said, go in peace. The God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. She didn't have a positive pregnancy test. She hadn't missed her menses yet. She hadn't even copulated with her husband. All she had was the conception of the seed of God's word. And a word from God was enough to change her countenance so that she was no longer bitter of spirit because the countenance is just a reflection of the heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the face countenances. If it's a sad heart, it's a sad countenance. If it's a joyful heart, it's a joyful countenance. You can look at a person and tell what's going on in their heart unless they are Hippocrates in other words actors and instantly her countenance is no more sad all oh, that there will be faith in the house of God one more time all oh, that the people of God will move by faith and not by sight we hear so much word but we have such little faith we still carry around the bitterness of soul. Why? Because as much as we hear the word, we're not really hearing according to the word of Christ. Because, you know, word is like seed. Some of it falls on hard ground. So it has no, no root. It has no place to make root because you can't plant seed on concrete and expect it to grow. Others uh, are on semi-good ground, but, but the thorns and the tears uh, choke out the life and possibilities of that seed from growing. Others are by the roadside, so that men walking on the sidewalk tread them underneath foot, so they have no chance to grow. Yet they hear faith, but they don't receive faith because of all that stuff that's going on in the heart, the cares of this world. The fowls of the air. I, I find that the big issue is that our hearts are so full of too many troubles. Too many troubles. Too many issues. That God cannot fill you when you are full. You cannot receive what God has for you because you're full of so much else. And, and you know, I happen to be one of those guys. I believe God has plenty for me. Because I never served for reward he was always my reward but as i get older i need money and i need plenty of it for my legacy and for my foundation 
You understand what I'm saying? So when I started to talk to him about it, he said, I have so much for you, but there's stuff in the way. If you start getting it out of the way, I will put my blessing in the way. And that was it for me. That settled it for me. And so once Eli speaks the word, the woman gets up and goes home because as for her, that settles it. The word is more than enough. In other words, it's going to happen. Now, if you don't believe that, please sit pretty active, important. But if you believe that on the word from God, it is going to happen because he's not a man to lie. Look for four or five people and tell them for me. I don't know what God promised you, but if it was him who promised, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. What excites me about this woman called Hannah is that after all her whispered wailing and lamentation uh, uh, and praying so intensely that to Eli she looked like a heathen child of Belial, the thing that excites me is that as soon as she got a word uh, from the Lord, that was all she needed. As soon as she got a word, she upped and left for home. She didn't need a pregnancy test, didn't need her menses to show, didn't need her cycle to tell her anything. All she needed was a word. You see, my friend, a promise from him is built on the word of God. And the word of God is built on his integrity that is immovable. And in spite of all that she had been through in her family life, she knew that if God said it, it's going to happen. The word settled it for her. She had faith. Romans 10 and verse 17 declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can we in this generation of which it is written, writing of books there shall be many and of knowledge there will be increase. How can we hear so much word preached and years later we remain untransformed, unchanged, still bitter, still vengeful, still angry, still not receiving what God has in store for us. What she heard wasn't even a direct word from God. It was God's servant Eli, a dysfunctional priest who had the priesthood in all kinds of quandary and dichotomy and yet he was still the one who had the word and she had good enough sense to recognize that her word was in his mouth. It was still God's word and it changed her countenance that her countenance was no more sad, the Bible said. Why? Because now that she has emptied her heart out of all her bitterness and her heart is empty of all that gunk and junk she has now become a vacuum for God to fully feel for God to feel with promise with purpose her provocation has now received the annunciation of a promise and she gets back home my friends and the Bible says in verse 19 they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and they returned from the temple and came to their house to Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and note this the Lord remembered her I don't know who I'm preaching to you're feeling a certain way that God, are you really going to do something that great in my life and make me the, the mother of a child and now I won't have to go through all this trouble with this adversary called Penina and feel like I'm not really with my husband because I have no child for him are you really going to give me a new job? Are you really going to take me to a new level? Is it really me that you are talking to? Or is this just wishful thinking? Well let me tell you friend, there is no wishful 
thinking here. This is the seed of God's promise. This is the word of God that says you will be the head only and not the tail. Above only and not beneath. That out of your belly shall come rivers of living water. That you will have life abundantly. And she thinks that it's a child. She doesn't know what she's carrying is not just a child. It's a purpose. It's a promise. It's the power of God to fix a nation. I don't know who you are. But somebody, you are about to birth a prophetic business. A prophetic industry that's going to change Nigeria's GDP. You're about to birth something that will become a trendsetter, a trailblazer in this nation. That others will mimic and follow after. But you will be the standard bearer. The one who opens up a way where there was no way before. Once he got home, the Bible said, Elkanah knew Hannah. This was not new. Elkanah had known Hannah many times, more times than he had known Penina. But for all the knowing of Hannah, she had nothing to show for it. Been going to church for 25 years. Sitting on the third row, religiously in the choir and the protocol department all at the same time nothing to show for it is it that you are a bad person no you are just the victim of an adversary and more importantly a victim of divine purpose and you allowed it to get you bitter instead of getting you glad when you know it was done for evil because of the fact that you are a purpose carrier. You shouldn't get sad, you should get glad. When trouble used to come at my life, I would get so upset, but now I get glad because God can never allow trouble near me unless he intends to use it for my good. Romans 28 is pivotal terra firma for every member of House on the Rock. We know that all things, not some things, not many things, not most things, but anything that happens in your life, it works together with everything else for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Purpose is the problem. All your problems are traced to purpose. That means whilst you're going through the problems of purpose, make sure you love God no matter what. And it's easy to love. You just have to focus on him and understand his ways. Otherwise, the enemy will misinterpret him to you. And then you fall out of love with God and you miss out on the conversational relationship. And that conversational relationship is absolutely important because that's where you hear the promise. She's back at home. Elkanah and her are doing it. Meant nothing. But for the fact that the Bible said God remembered her it took Elkanah knowing her and God remembering her at the same time couldn't be one without the other or the other without the one it had to be both for the Bible teaches us this simple principle God will use and raise men to facilitate his purpose in your life get that down understand it he will not bring it to pass without men he will do it through men he not the men he will do it through men. Luke 6 and verse 38. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, that means to make more room, shaken together to make even more room, and then running over, shall what? 
Shall God give into your bosom? No. God makes men give into your bosom. That means you have to have a bosom and you have to have men. By men, I don't mean male. Huh? What, what he's saying is that God is going to bless you by using other people. Because God doesn't transact in this world. He transacts in that world. But he gives you the power to get wealth. He doesn't give you wealth. Because wealth is not his currency. Faith is his, is his currency. Faith is invisible. It's intangible. But it controls the visible and the tangible. You get it? So when you give God a big sacrifice. And to, to, to me, 100,000 naira might be a big sacrifice. Or 100,000 pounds might be a big sacrifice. Yeah? And it takes sacrifice. That's what God understands. The sacrifice, not the money. The faith, not the quantity. And when he receives your currency, what does he do? He doesn't give you money. He gives you charisma. He gives you favor. He establishes grace like a canopy over your life. He gives you a tongue and utterance that cannot be gainsaid or resisted. He gives you the knowledge of witty inventions. He just causes people to like you. Because he said, men shall give into your bosom. People who never liked you before, all of a sudden they choose you. People who never wanted you before, all of a sudden they like you. People who couldn't, couldn't say one good word about you, all of a sudden they help you. People who you don't like and they don't even like you, God, God somehow moves them to bless you. So that you might not think that it was God that made Elkanah know her, but my friend, it was God. When God remembers you, he'll move you into position. He'll move cities, people, populaces, persons into position. And you have to trust that that's who he is. Your God is not some isolated fellow leaning over a weak throne that has no power with gray hair and a tired body. No! Your God has, has all the controls on every single animated species, inanimated species of everything in heaven and in earth. And there's not one amongst them that when he tells them to do something, they have to do it. And you learn to worship the God who has the heart of every king, the will of every king, every person in his hand. When he says king, he means everybody because the king is in charge of everybody in his dominion. So everybody in the king's dominion is under God's dominion. God remembered Hannah. God is going to remember you. Yeah. This is where it gets exciting. She conceives where and what she had never thought possible before she conceives it i don't know who you are you will conceive what you could not conceive before why because god has remembered you i didn't say you were birth i haven't said that yet turn by turn you will conceive that means you will get it in your head you will know it in your head that it is going to happen. You will believe it in your heart. It has to happen. And every time you doubt, God will send you a word. Your feet will drag you to church on the Sunday you didn't think you were going to come. Whether you realize it or not, it is God who brought you to church this Sunday. It's God who made you turn on and not go to your normal church online and turn to this thing because he has a word for you. So that when you start doubting what he put in your head, he reaffirms what he placed there. It is God's responsibility to maintain the fetus in your womb.
It is his responsibility to bring his promise in your life to full fetal development. It's not your responsibility. You will cooperate with him whether you like it or not. And so she has the baby nine months later. She's got the promise. Now hear me carefully. I have a few minutes to work. I thought that the ultimate test of faith was when you don't have the promise fulfilled yet, but against all odds and all kinds of hell, you still chose to believe and trust in God through and through the most impossible times of your life and believe that he who promised would do it. I thought that was the test of faith. I used to believe that believing against all odds was the ultimate test of faith. But that is not the ultimate test of faith. The ultimate test of faith is after you have successfully believed God, in spite of all the odds that were stacked against you and, and all the hell that rose up against you uh, that you had to go through, you still delivered the baby and now you have the baby in your hands. And you now have to give up the baby because that was the deal you made with God. That's the real test. So the test is not believing that God give me the baby and you eventually get the baby through all the twists and turns. But the real test is now you have the baby. And God says, give him back to me. When you are tested over what you don't have, it is not a test. Because you didn't have a choice. But now you have what you believe for. And you have to go and give him back what you promised you would give him. That's the test. Anybody of real greatness has to pass that test. Abraham, after 25 years, had to go and give back Isaac. And he had finished the job. It was already a done deal. And God stopped him in the downward blow. I said, I was just testing you. This is, this is more than a sweet biblical narrative. It's a nice Bible story, but it's much more than that. Because there is a two-year-old relationship between a mother and her son. Mothers, can I see your hands? They say when the baby is born, the first thing they do after they've taken him up is they put him skin to skin on the mother. And the father wants in on that too. Because that's how they bond. That's how they become close. That's how they become intimate. The baby gets the scent of the mother. The mother gets the scent of the baby. She, she, they bond. Two years is not a small amount of time. The baby has become so bonded and so dependent on his mother. The mother who has longed for him for so long has become so bonded with, with the baby. He's walking now. He's talking a little bit. There's some very smart two-year-olds that can hold a re real good intelligent conversation with you. Yeah, she's bonded. Her husband comes to her and says, let's go to the temple. It's the time of the feast. He says, no, I won't. I need to win him first. So she waits another cycle. By the end of that cycle, it's two years. And she decides, I'm going. She gets to the temple. Hi. Honey, it's going to be okay. We'll see my mama come every year. I'll come once every year. Eli is the high priest. God will take care of you. Mommy, where is God? I can't see him. 
and she turns her back. The boy is crying. And he runs to go and meet her, pulling on, on, on her dress. That severing herself from him is the most difficult thing she has ever had to do. It almost equates the same agony she had from not having any child. She makes it through the arduous pain. It's the longest journey of her life. She's going back home, back to square one. Because her faith required her to give up what she begged God for. You hear what I'm saying? And Hannah is back at the same spot, no child. Because Samuel was not her child. Samuel was not her blessing. Samuel was merely the opener. Samuel was not her child. He was God's prophet. She had made a deal with God. You want a prophet, I'll give you a child. If I give you the child, you give me. If, if you give me the child, I'll give you the prophet. You get it? There's so many of us. We make pledges to God. God, if you give me the job, I'll, I'll give you 30%. I'll give you 50%. God, God, if you give me the pay raise, I promise I, I, I'm going to give you the first one and I'll start tithing again. God, if you give me that woman as wife, I promise I will never be a bad boy again. Because when the blessing comes, that's the test of your faith. When God says, I want you to give me my first fruit first. Somebody shout first things first. See, Hannah was a wise woman. When God blessed her with the child, it was in her hands to keep the child a child and not release him to be a prophet. Israel needed a prophet. God had to have a prophet. And because she made a vow, it was agreeable to God. God said, okay, I'm in the business with you. God gave her the child. She gave him back the prophet. It was open. The issue was not Samuel is her child because Samuel was not a child. It was just, she was just a surrogate mother. The issue was Samuel was the opener. He was the one who would open the womb. And he would go back to the God who gave him as the opener. If I open your Coca-Cola for you, I open it. I don't give you the opener. I put the opener back in my pocket. You understand? I hope you do. So, who are we getting there? I'm almost there. I'm almost there. It was never about Samuel. Hannah is childless again. It was always about God using Samuel to open the womb. So she had solicited God for a child. God wanted her to give him the prophet. And so she gave the prophet to him as the child. She now had no child. He was God's property. God moves in the impossible. We move in the possible. And he recruits you for the impossible by citing your need as the crucible into which he's going to pour his power and call you into something that is much bigger than you asked him for. So Hannah bringing Samuel back to give him to the Lord was simply prioritizing her priorities. Doing first things first. Giving her first fruits to God. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 33. The Bible says, Seek ye first, first, that's the operative word, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things shall be added to you. What is Samuel's name? One version says, Samuel means God shall add. 
And look at what God did for Hannah. Hannah gave him her child, her only child, because she recognized this child is not mine, he is God's prophet. And on the back of that, what did God do? He had now opened the womb that was closed. Who did he use to open it? Samuel. And the result was Hannah had five more children for Elkanah. One, two, three, four, five. That's the number of grace. Samuel was the test. Not her barrenness. Samuel was the test and God's prophet. Sometimes God blesses you to test you to see if you will take the blessing and turn your back and walk away with it. Or whether you will bring it back to him and say thank you. Go with me to Luke 17 verse 18 and 19. Luke 17 verse 18 and 19. And there are not found that return to give glory to God except this stranger. Verse 19. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, your faith has made you whole. The nine lepers were healed, but the tenth leper was not only healed, he was whole. That meant he had a relationship with God. He was united with God. He was consonant with God. He was in a state of wholeness. That meant the others were healed, but they would still have all kinds of issues about their past. But the leper that had come to say thank you to Christ, he had no issues with his past anymore. It was just a testimony was made whole because he came to do first things first and God could give him much more than just a healing it is when God opens the door and blesses you how do you remember God Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18 remember the Lord your God for it is him who gives you power to get wealth so that he may establish or confirm his covenant which he swore unto your fathers as it has been done this day the test of faith is not when you have nothing the test of faith is when you have a choice the real test of faith is not in God remembering Hannah it's in Hannah remembering God this is the key principle of walking in the blessing of the promise it's the key principle do you remember God do you remember that it was not you who did it, nor men that helped you, but God working through men and working on you who did it in your life? Look at Mark 10, 29. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. And I, I, I emphasize Mark 10.30 because otherwise the theologians will try and put off your blessing to heaven. But in this time, if you have forsaken anything that you could have gotten for the sake of the gospel, God says in this time. Look at it. But he shall receive a hundredfold. You know what a hundredfold is? That is a hundredfold. That means it will be a hundred times better. Said houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Look at that with persecutions. That means if you don't develop thick skin, there's no point going into the blessing. Because there will always be envious, jealous haters who wish it was them and won't get it because of their jealousy. So you have to just feel sorry for them, pray for them, and then teach them Hannah's lesson. Hallelujah. Are you with me? I hope you get it. All right, let me close it down. 
So stop focusing on who wronged you. Let it go. Because when you let it go, you are like an open, empty cup for God to fill. I came here this morning, rose to my feet to catch time to talk with you because I really believe that there's a promise on your life. And any moment from now, you're going to conceive if you haven't already. And your womb that was not open to these possibilities, all of a sudden is going to become open. And your first fruit, it belongs to God. Give him what belongs to him first. That's where the real test of faith is. It's what comes out first. Give it to him. She went back home to square one. No child. The same Penina. Say, where's your baby now? And now, Hannah starts dropping babies like Penina used to. God has a baby that only you can bear. When he called you, Paul tells us he was hoping for something. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to know what God was hoping for when he called you. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. To which he has gifted exceedingly surpassing power to fulfill what seems outlandish, impossible to you. You're carrying something for God. And your need is often a little cue or hint that it's more than your child. He wants the prophet. It's more than the, 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 the car. He wants a factory from you. It's more than diesel in your tank. He wants diesel for the whole country. He wants you to be a facilitator of the largesse of God. So your need is only representative of a, of a whole cross-section of humanity. And God says, I want to meet their need through you. So I will use men to bless you the way I'm going to use you to bless a whole world. Provoked on purpose. On purpose. Pastor Joe, look at it this way. What was the purpose? Israel had no light, no word. They were in a season when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They needed a prophet who was going to be priest and was going to be judge over Israel. For 400 years, no word. And she had to have an atmosphere of prayer into which he would be conceived as prophet and birthed in that same atmosphere as something that only God did. The kind of person you call Oluwa Sheifumi. You understand? And she was wise. She took the baby. Once he could stand on his own and didn't need milk from her paps and gave her back to God. And God smiled because she recognized this is not a child. This is an opener. This is not my baby. This is God's prophet. And once she gave God what he wanted, she knew going back that God will give me what I want. And he gave her five. She kept her vow. Are you holding on to the opener? Are you holding on to the first thing that belongs to God? God bless you, but did you give him his first? So that he could give you all that's yours? God has so much for you, but if you keep holding on to his stuff, you won't be able to get your stuff. It's if God did something for you, do you recognize it to be his? He's always the owner of the first part. And you're giving it back to him is not only honor, it is faith 
that says to God, if you could give me this, I could never do it myself anyways. I want to give it back to you because I recognize this is yours. The first is always yours. He will always give you what is yours if you give him what is his.